So our text for this Trinity Sunday is from Isaiah chapter 6, these words, and the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. So our text, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, Trinity Sunday, Trinity Sunday each year causes us to ask the question as to who, as to who God really is, and then also what what we want God to be, who we think God is and what we want God to be. When it comes to the question as to who God is, what do we do? We take the Bible, the verses in the Bible, the text of the Bible that describe who God is for us, and putting them all together, we come up with brief statements, really, creeds they're called, three of which are universally accepted by Christians everywhere in the world. The Apostles' Creed, so called because it contains the teachings of the Apostles of Jesus Christ. The Nicene Creed, formulated by two councils of the church in the 4th century, the first council being held in a town by the name of Nicaea, so the name Nicene Creed. And then the Athanasian Creed, which we'll use here in a few moments, named after a theologian of the church that lived in the fourth century, Athanasius of Alexandria. All of these statements, these summaries of the Christian faith, these creeds, they take the biblical data, we could say, and crunch it down into succinct statements. The Athanasian Creed going so far as to stating not only what Scripture teaches, but what Scripture does not teach about who God is. And it can be overwhelming. It can be overwhelming what's taught about God in the Bible. The idea that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons and yet simply still one God. Who can understand it? We can't. We can't understand it. So we simply must accept that God is who he has revealed himself to be to us. Understandably, therefore, we don't spend a lot of time on this topic. One Sunday, one Sunday of the church year. That is on the fact that God is triune, three in one. And So we drift off into another aspect of God, and that is what we want God to be. And here I think the throne room scene from the Old Testament reading is informative, that section of Isaiah chapter 6, where we read of the vision of the prophet Isaiah seeing the Lord in a throne room and angels and singing and shaking foundations and smoke And that is all the trappings of power and authority and might and dominion, or in other words, the kingdom and power and glory that we acknowledge God actually has as we pray the conclusion of the Lord's Prayer. Now that's pretty awesome, isn't it? That throne room scene of Isaiah. I mean, it was the same when God came down on Mount Sinai, wasn't it? And thunder and lightning and trumpet blasts. What about when Moses saw the backside of God? 
where the prophet Elijah experienced the wind and the earthquake and the fire on the mountain outside of the cave to which he had run. There are those visions of Ezekiel and Daniel and the Mount of Transfiguration where Peter, James, and John were overwhelmed by the transfigured Jesus, the cloud and the voice. And let's be honest, that's what we want, right? That's what we want God to be. That's how we want to experience God in some sort of spectacular event. Seems right, right? Here we can even think about Luther who makes his decision to become a monk when? When he's almost struck by a bolt of lightning. What about those religious statues all over the world? Statues so huge, so huge of some man-made deity that they literally overwhelm the people looking at them in their massiveness. Ancient Greece and Rome were leaders here, weren't they? Their temples constructed around these massive god divinities that they had constructed. One of the seven wonders of the ancient world, for example, was just such a massive statue of a god, the Colossus of Rhodes, a statue of the Greek god Helios erected in the third century BC to greet ships entering the harbor there. Now, the Colossus, this big statue, was the size of the Statue of Liberty. The Statue of Liberty. Why so big? Why? Well, the larger the representation of the deity, the greater power he or she must have, right? That's what we like, these these manifestations of power. Of course, nowadays, what used to be done with statuary is done with light and sound. Churches taking their clue from theaters and movies, overwhelming worshipers with similar experiences to that of the children of Israel at the base of Mount Sinai or as Isaiah in the throne room. The wall of sound pioneered by the rock group The Grateful Dead, overwhelming their drug-filled fans with sheer sonic power has become a staple of much Christian worship today. Music is, as one person put it, the experience of thought. And that is what modern man, that is what ancient man, that is what mankind in general wants. The experience of the thought of the Almighty God. Just like the experience Isaiah the prophet had in the throne room. But of course... When the prophet Isaiah experienced the temple of the Lord, he was struck down with terror. Terror, crying out, Woe to me, for I am lost from a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. The children of Israel at the base of Mount Sinai, they fared no better. Do you remember? Being terrified by the presence of God on on its summit, they pleaded with Moses to speak with God for them lest they die. So the experience of God which people wish to create today, it's a bit lacking, isn't it? Lacking in, well, sheer terror. Kind of like experiencing a tornado on screen as part of a a movie in a film, uh, in, in, in a theater, in a movie theater with a great sound system as opposed to cowering in our basement with the real McCoy heading down our street. 
So it turns out that such manufactured experiences of God are not even accurate. The desire of our old Adam for a religiously correct God, perhaps we could say. So what is then? So what is an accurate experience of the living God? The omnipotent God. The all-knowing and incomprehensible God who reveals himself to us in three persons, yet one substance. What is the experience of the almighty God, the king of creation? What is it? What is it? Well, it's the still small voice, isn't it? The still small voice heard by the prophet Elijah. The still small voice of the word of God spoken to us, heard by us, prayed by us, sung by us. The still small voice of our Savior Jesus Christ who comes to us so simply and so humbly through the word of God conveyed by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit poured out upon us when we were baptized into Christ, causing us to be reborn, to be born of the Spirit, and thus gain access to the spiritual things of God, gain access to who God actually is and how God actually is. Who has knowledge of God? Who has knowledge of the Father except the ones to whom the Son reveals himself? And that is, well, us. It's a revelation of the Holy Trinity by means of the still small voice of the Word of God which brings us into the presence of God. A burning coal from the altar that touched the lips of Isaiah taking away his guilt, atoning for his sins. The burning coal is that of the sacrifice of Jesus for us. Atoning for our sins with the sacrifice of his body and blood so that our sins could be washed away, making us through faith in Christ righteous and holy before our Father in heaven. Thus we can stand in God's presence without terror. In college, uh, one of my friends uh, got a ticket to a rock concert in Detroit, a ticket to see Huey Lewis and the News. And that made quite a stir among uh, the group of us. And so we could not wait to hear about the concert on Monday when classes were in session once again. Well, she came back on Monday to tell us, uh, right after chapel, I remember, uh, that not only had she had had front row tickets for the concert, but something even better. She had backstage passes to actually meet Huey Lewis and his band personally. Turns out that the guy that took her to the concert was a radio DJ and so had access to the people whose music he played on the radio, and that was Huey Lewis. That was a much more memorable experience for her than being at the concert. But what is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who through his Spirit gives us backstage passes to the concert that is creation itself, the creation of the Almighty and everlasting God? Through Christ, we are given spiritual backstage passes. That is, we are given access to the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit continually being through Christ in fellowship with them. Our religious experience, therefore, is one of being in the know, of being behind the scenes, 
of being one who truly knows of heavenly things, for such heavenly things have been revealed to us by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ through his word. Our Christian life, therefore, is not simply seeking an experience which we think mimics or replicates or copies the external workings of the triune gods, like uh, a continual quest to uh, experience a panoramic view or the latest restaurant creation or the opening of a local grocery store for which we have been waiting for three years. But instead, our Christian experience is that of being in the know, of having complete and total access So when God speaks to us through His holy word, it is really God speaking to us through His holy world. Although it is comprised of just simple words and simple sentences, words and sentences just like those used by Jesus in speaking with Nicodemus on the night so long ago when this profound insight was given to us so humbly, so simply. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So having heard these particular words, uh, the question becomes, are these words more momentous, more profound, more life-changing to our hearts and souls and minds than some sort of sensory experience of light and sound. And I think so. Why does the Almighty, the omniscient, the omnipresent triune God work with us in such a way, using such simple, such mundane, such common, a common way to communicate with us? Why does he do it? Well, the same reason the Son became man in Jesus Christ. So God would not frighten us but would clearly communicate with us that he loves us and wants to live with us forever. It's just because it is God himself who does this, the immortal, invisible, all-knowing God that makes such a still, small voice, the experience we cannot do without. Amen. Now may the peace which passes all understanding keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen. We rise and confess our Christian faith in the words of the Athanasian Creed, spoken responsibly.